0: conductive wire. and you so electric. I had no say when you came so near. and just right through me hey everyone welcome to Geekdom is back I'm your host Deanna Chapman and today I am joined by comic book writer Jordan Clark Jordan how are you doing today
1: I'm doing pretty good thanks so much for having me on
0: yeah of course and I've had a few comic book creators on in the past, and I've really loved talking to them. So I was like, I need to do this more often. And you were kind enough to join me for this episode. So I just kind of want to start from the beginning, because I'm someone who didn't get into comics until I was an adult. So for me, it's always interesting to get to know someone's beginnings with comics. So for you, was it something that started as a kid that you were really into? Or how did that happen?
1: (laughs) Where I grew up i so I grew up outside of d c um in a suburban Maryland, and there were there were no comic book shops around me. like there was a hobby store which did not want children inside. and <laughs> you know, most of my my comic reading was either like Sunday comics, you know, like Garfield and peanuts and stuff like that. and then occasionally, you know, my parents would get me like, you know, like one of those big black and white X-Men Claremont collections or some like 50s, 60s, like Superman thing. Interestingly enough, like my mom and my uncles were really into comics. Like not to say, it sounds weird to say when comics came out, (laughs) (laughs) but when like Marvel and all that stuff was like really happening, like they got they were getting like number ones and like had this huge collection. And then apparently the story goes that my grandmother threw it all out when she was cleaning out the closet. Oh. So like they had like Captain America number one and like Strange Adventures number one and Batman. That hurts and, like, my soul. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, whoa, okay. <laughs> um, but for me, growing up in the nineties, it was kind of like a golden age in and of itself, and that we had the X-Men cartoon, and the Batman cartoon, and Superman, Fantastic Four. Uh, like, Hulk had a cartoon, Iron Man had a cartoon, Teen Titans, like, all this stuff. But then there was the trading cards, so I was heavy into the trading cards. And then there were all the video games, and then there were all the arcade games. So, like, even though I wasn't reading comics, somehow I had a knowledge of all these characters, and, like, you know, like, I knew who, like sugar man was even though like i never <laughs> saw him in an x-men comic i had a trading card and i was like oh like i guess that's who that is and like i never read a comic with omega red in it but i played him in the x-men vs street fighter you know arcade game so like knew who that person was and like just had all this stuff built up so you know i, I don't think i started reading comics like weekly until i was in college but All throughout, you know, early years into middle school and high school, like just through the video games and all the other like related media, like I was pretty locked into the world of comics.
0: Yeah, that's amazing because I am a 90s kid, but I went in like a different direction. I was watching, you know, Scooby Doo and Pokemon growing up and Yu Gi Oh! and all that stuff. So I was into like those trading card games. So I had. Pokemon cards, Yu-Gi-Oh cards, magic cards. And I think I even at one point had some Digimon cards. (laughs) So, you know, that was kind of the direction I went in. And even though I had seen, you know, like the Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man movies and stuff, I would watch them. But I never really got into reading the actual comics until like you, I was in college and it didn't even start with superheroes, really, because I had a friend who was like, you need to read Why the Last Man, you Mm -hmm. need to read Saga. And I was like, okay, okay, you know, because I was obviously familiar with all of the Marvel and DC characters, not all of them, but you know, the big Marvel and DC characters by that point, because the MCU had been going on. And, you know, that sort of all fell into this need of wanting to learn more about comics and diving into them. I subscribe to Marvel Unlimited, DC Universe Infinite. I will read comics any way someone wants to give them to me. So I am definitely happy those services exist. And, you know, for your journey, when did you know it was something you wanted to do as far as writing comics?
1: So for me, it was it was kind of like, things came together at once. So I started reading comics, in college, because I had a really cool professor who was like, oh, you need to get into all of this stuff. Like he was super nerdy and into like, Doctor Who and comics and all the science fiction stuff. So he was just like handing me stuff after class and was like, Oh, have you read this? Have you checked this out? And so that got me into comics. And then as I was getting out of college, I was doing TV stuff, and working in television, but mostly in a freelance capacity. So it was a lot of like two months on and then like a month of no work and then like three months on and then like, you know, kind of in and out. And so in those periods, I was kind of like, well, I, I need something to kind of keep my creative energies going. And, you know, just being really into comics, I was like, not like this seems easy, but like, this seems <laughs> like, this seems like less work than some of the other stuff I had tried to do, like a web series or other things where it was like, oh, it's just me and another person. And so that seems doable, you know, to an extent. And I started to do just like shorter comics and web comics and trying to get some stuff together, but it's been about like 10-11 years, you know, just on the on the journey, but I definitely feel like, you know, every every step, every project has been a progression, but it was not not like a like a joke or like a, oh yeah like let me just you know do like do this for entertainment like i was like yeah i really want to try to see if i can you know figure this out and get into the industry somehow but you know like i, w- I was never like yeah like i'm going to be like the, the top dc writer i'm going to do all this other stuff it was mostly just like i have stories that i want to tell and comics felt like the best medium for me to tell them in so you know, that's kind of what attracted me to it and it it's 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 served me well so far so I'm, <laughs> I'm i'm happy to you know just kind of be in the space and and hopefully you know trying to keep the momentum going
0: absolutely and one thing i've noticed is that for a lot of creators who end up working with marvel or dc it's not like their first comic book writing job or as an artist is with those two companies typically you have people who either they have written prose before. And that's sort of what got them noticed, which I believe is like Scott Snyder's origin story with DC. And then you have people who just start making creator-owned comics. You know, there's Webtoons out there and all of these other ways to get comics out there now that maybe didn't exist for you when you first got your start. So for you, what was it like sort of having i don't want to call it a disadvantage but just a different route that you had to take in comparison to what some newer writers today might have to take
1: sure yeah i mean even just thinking back to college like when i was graduating it was just a whole (laughs) weird sense of all my professors are like, I I think print media is dying. Like you should probably (laughs) like do something else. And they were trying to prepare us to like, oh, like here's a thing called a podcast. Like maybe think about that. Or like here's all these different ways for you to kind of do stuff on your own just because, you know, the internet has been a great equalizer in a lot of ways where it has allowed people to, you know, even if they're not, they don't have professional aspirations. It is a way for you to, to create work and get it out. Even if you're doing a comic on like your Instagram or like, you know, I I was doing a web comic on Tumblr for a while that was just like, here it is. Like, I don't know if anybody's reading this or like <laughs> where, where this is going, but it was a way for me to kind of hone my skills and, and get used to, you know, writing the story and, you know, seeing the story to fruition and then moving on to the next thing. So for, younger creators today I feel like there's definitely you know a lot of different paths for them to follow in terms of whether it is doing it on your own obviously like Kickstarter has grown in a lot of ways you can do Patreon you can do you know either it's you know Webtoon or you know a lot of other different you can just have a website if you want to you know put that together and it has been great to see comics in general right like people from all over the world from all walks of life being able to create comics and just you can you can consume them like they're every they're all over social media there's all kinds of places you can go to read them so when i was coming out it was kind of like a huh like web comics not like how does this work but just like it seemed like a a completely different side of the industry than When you think about print comics and you know stuff that's coming out in comic book shops, but now those things are kind of aligning where you're seeing web comics being printed as books that people can read. So even that is like if your goal is to be a published you know creator and writer, like you can do a web comic. You know it might take a while because they might want to collect like a huge compendium of them. But even like you know Tilly Walden has a bunch of web comics that got collected into you know some great books and then i'm trying to think of some other people like even just like web comics that aren't they're more like you know sunday comics kind of like one page comic things that just get collected into books so you know for me like i feel like i've i've appreciated being able to see the long scope of things from you know where i started at to where things are now because i can i can also dabble in those things and kind of take advantage of that too but you know it's also great for younger creators who now can kind of have this ability to not have to wait, you know, for somebody to say it's okay for them to make comics like they can just start doing it and then, you know, get 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 all the get all the kinks worked out, you know, now and then when it's time for them to kind of take a larger stage, you know, they kind of have a better grip on who they are as a creator.
0: And honestly, some of the best advice that I have personally heard is just start. You know, I have two podcasts that I do. And during the pandemic, I started doing YouTube videos. And at first, I was only doing them every other week. And now I'm doing them weekly. And I have always been someone who like, hides from cameras. So that was like a big deal for me. And obviously, you know, everyone's kind of doing everything over zoom like you and I are now. And, you know, you just have to figure out what it is you want to do and just take that First leap and just start it. And, you know, if you make mistakes at the beginning, the good thing is there probably aren't too many people watching, you know? So you have that luxury of making mistakes and figuring out what works. And I think the same goes for comics too, you know, any creative field, basically, whether it's podcasts, videos, comics, even books, you know, you can put your own book up on Kindle now and it's relatively cheap. And, you know, you can charge a buck 99 for it, or whatever you want to charge for it. And I think a lot of people, especially when I first started getting into comics, I was like, Oh, everyone's dream is to write for the big two, you know, (laughs) and it's come to my attention that that is still great for a lot of creators to get to do that. But it's not necessarily the be all end all. But you have done some work for DC recently. So I wanted to talk about how the opportunity came about for you to write a couple issues of Aquaman, Semi recently, I would say. And, you know, this is happening in between Kelly's pseudoconic issues. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of hers. So, can you just walk me through how that all came about for you?
1: Yeah. Well, interesting enough. I mean, kind of going back to the last point you were making, I was doing like everything to not write comics right like when I first started out like (laughs) I was reading all the books and reading all the interviews and like listening to all the the podcasts and like watching all the stuff of just like okay this is how you do it this is how you do it this is how you do it but like not actually doing it and so I think it's when Pretty Deadly was debuting like the first issue was coming out and Kelly Sue and uh, Emma Rios were at a local comic book shop and they were doing a signing and then Kelly Sue was going to be staying over to come back and do a like writer's workshop at the end of the day. And so I was like, Oh great. Like here's a real live comics professional. Who's just going to like give me the secret and like, then I'm going to (laughs) be able to like do it. And so I went and she's great right obviously and she's like breaking everything down but everything she's talking about is stuff that i've either like read directly from her website or like heard from other people so you know it's kind of like huh okay like there's a lot of information here that i've like i sought it out so i know it but the the one piece of advice that she gave was basically like you just you have to do it like you just have to get out there and do it and you know make some stuff and see what happens and so like that night I went home and I looked up some anthologies and I found an anthology and I came up with a story and I sent it out. And uh, a few weeks later they were like, Oh, this is great. Like this is accepted. Like you can, you know, do the story for the anthology. And ever since then, like I've kind of been on and off, like running into her um, until I ran into her. I want to say it's maybe four or five years ago at this point when the bitch planet triple feature was coming out and she saw some of my work and like, I had a nice conversation with her at a convention over a few days. And then she was like, Oh, do you want to be in the bitch planet <laughs> triple feature? And I was like, Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and from there, it's been crazy, because she is, I call her my comics mom, like she feels very much so just like a, uh, a figure who is, you know, at once like aspirational, right? Like somebody that you definitely want to be not just as a, a, a writer, but also as a person. But she's also like she doesn't say things she doesn't mean right like if she's if she's talking to you and she's telling you something she's not mean obviously like she's one of the nicest people I've ever met but like she's not going to sugarcoat things for you and so all of the praise that she's given me has felt like i can't put it into words because it's like here's one of your heroes saying like oh no you're good at this like i like what you do and you're just kind of like oh, (laughs) and and so, you know, she's, she's done things. I mean, this, I can't even, again, I can't thank her enough. She's done things for me. It's, I'm not, I'm not asking for any of this. Like she's going out of her way. People are asking, oh, like, do you know anybody who, you know, might be available to do X, Y, and Z? And she's like, oh yeah, Jordan. And I'm just like, oh, you know, so like when I was talking to her like a few years ago, she was just like, oh yeah. Also like, you know, I, I mentioned your name to some DC people. They should be getting in touch with you sometime soon I was just like (laughs) oh okay Okay, yes I'll take that Uh, um so you know from there like I you know pitched some stuff and it wasn't what they were looking for at the moment but it did get their attention and they did like what I was doing so I got to do the uh crimes of passion anthology two years ago time is flying but (laughs) uh so I got to do that and you know like I, I was able to maintain kind of just like a good relationship with some editors there to the point where like you were saying Kelly Sue in the middle of her Aquaman run pandemic is happening uh she's got children that she needs to you know attend to and you know a lot of other stuff going on in her life so she was like man you're like I'm getting ready to end this run but I need a little bit of time to like just catch my breath and so like again my name was recommended as somebody who was like hey you know jordan could probably do a great job filling in for these two issues and it was very surreal to to like you know it's it's that connection of going back to oh she's doing bitch planet i'm a huge fan of bitch planet now i'm writing this story for bitch planet <laughs> and then you know fast forward a little bit oh man this aquaman run is great i love it a few months later, it's like, do you want to write for <laughs> this? Do you like do something for this run, and so it was again one of the the greatest experiences of my life so far, just in terms of my my writing career to be able to jump in there. And again, forever appreciative and, and grateful to her for, you know, like she doesn't have to do any of this, you know, right? right? Like she's she's doing it because you know she believes in me, which is, you know, it's not it doesn't feel like pressure, but it's just like man, like. Wow, you know, you, I, every 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 time I kind of think about it, I have to like step back and be like, yeah, like Kelly Sue does think I'm good at this. Like maybe I should, you know, keep not just keep it going, but like I really take that, and it's just it's a it's a rocket to your back, right? And you just want to like do the best, you know, to kind of like prove her right, you know, in a sense. So. Uh, yeah, like it was. It was really great. She was such a huge help on that, and you know all the editors at DC, uh, Marco Santucci, the artist that I got to work with, incredible. He's doing incredible stuff on Green Lantern now, and like everybody involved. Like it was. It was a very wonderful experience.
0: Yeah. And I just want to point out, too, that even though you were filling in on a couple issues, they are by no means filler issues, if you will. You know, I went and read them and I was like, I hadn't read any of the Aquaman series yet, but I wanted to, you know, prep for this. So I read your issues and I was like, oh, there's a whole lot of family dynamics happening here that clearly has been, you know, happening in the issues before you came in and did a couple in a row there. And it's very obvious that, you know, just because you see a different writer on something doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to kind of go off track and be a totally different story. For this, it was like, no, this is very much set in the story Kelly Sue was telling. And, you know, I sign up for her you know, texts that she sends out to fans and whatever, and she calls herself Shark Mom. And I just love that because you can tell that she not only really, really cares about comics, but she cares about the comic book community as a whole. And, you know, we are obviously talking about her a lot here. <laughs> and as we said, I think there are certain people like that in comics who just kind of take people under their wing and, you know, boost them up. And I'm taking. Scott Snyder's class right now, for instance, through his Substack. And, you know, Substack has a bunch of interesting things going on in comics too right now. And, you know, it's just really great to see how hands on a lot of creators are in comics. And, you know, I've had Vida Ayala on this podcast before, and they are always amazing to talk to. And it's just so great to see how this community works, because, you know, I'm not necessarily a part of it. I'm more so just a consumer. At this point, writing a comic is a thing I've always wanted to do, which is why I'm taking Scott's class. But I have fallen into that thing that you did, where I'm just like reading a bunch of stuff and, like you know, putting it off because, you know, I do still create other things. But, you know, for you, is there... A difference to how you approach working for DC versus something that's creator-owned, or you know, sort of not necessarily a side project, but just like this little idea that you have in your head, and you're like, "I need to get this out."
1: Yeah. Well, so I, I think at the core of it, right? Like, it shouldn't change. Like, when you're asked to kind of come on and and write these characters and do all this stuff, because it is. A big crazy world like I got a chance to do Star Wars like a Star Wars adventure story earlier this year and like in the in the course of that like you're talking to like the Lucasfilm people like the like the people who clear Star Wars for everything across all the different you know so it's it's a big deal in the sense of like nothing happens in any of the Star Wars media that isn't canon that isn't like part of a larger universe narrative etc right so like they're not just gonna let you do whatever like everything has to you know be be checked off and cleared and go through like a chain of command so in that sense it's like all right definitely you you have to give the publisher what they want right like they're obviously looking for something specific right like for dc They wanted me to tell a story about Jackson and kind of fill in some blanks and, you know, really go into some of his familial history and his connection to his homeland of Zebel and all that stuff. So there was some direction in terms of like, these are the points we'd like you to hit, but also they want you to do what you do, right? And if you come in You can hit
0: them how you want, basically.
1: Exactly, right. So, you know, going into a situation and saying, oh man, like, I need to write how Kelly Sue writes, like, I need to try to emulate what Kelly Sue was doing, and kind of just be like, like ghost Kelly Sue (laughs) in this situation. (laughs) And that's, you know, like, that would have been a disaster, because we don't write the same, like, it's, we're, we're doing different things. And I think that's why they brought me in is because they wanted a different, not a different take from what Kelly Sue was doing, but they wanted something that added a different context and depth to Jackson's character, but also was able to tie into the larger Aquaman narrative, right? and so when you're coming in to do stuff like that like i never look at it as oh okay now i need to adjust my style or adjust how i write or even you know the things that i feel are important to me as a writer as much as it's like okay well, how can how can we marry these two things like how can we connect what it is that inspires me and what i want to speak to as well as obviously, yes, you know, like I'm being paid by these people to to do this. So like, I'm not just going to come in here and just, you know, be anti and do whatever, like, I'm gonna try to hit all the different points that they have. But DC was great. You know, the editors that I worked with, um, Andrea Shea and Alex Carr, were very open and collaborative and they wanted to hear my ideas. And we got to talk and go back and forth. And Kelly Sue had some input and we were able to kind of like bounce a bunch of different ideas off and then, you know, finally come to what the story was. When it's just you, it is a little different in that, I mean, the biggest difference is that, you know, you got deadlines and you got to hit those deadlines and like, it's non-negotiable. Like that's <laughs> what's happening, <laughs> you know, because yeah. there it's a whole machine and the machine doesn't stop for you for whatever reason. Like you just gotta, you gotta fill in those gaps. So there's definitely a different speed to stuff when I'm working on things on my own. Obviously, like, you know, you, you have to still hit some deadlines, you know, things have to come out at a at a decent clip, you know. Like, there are a few people who can probably pull that at, like, Image or other places where they're like, oh, I need, like, two extra months for this issue. But, like, everybody else, it's like,
0: <laughs> yeah. you,
1: you still, even if it's your own project, like, you still have to kind of hit certain, certain benchmarks and goals. But there there is a different level of freedom to it, which is good and bad, right? Like, I feel like limitations do help you, you know, when you're trying to create, like obviously you know your mind can go a lot of different places and you can kind of jump onto a lot of different things but when somebody's saying no this is the the lane that we're going down like we need to stick to this you know it it constricts you a little bit but it also forces you to think okay well like how can i fit all this into that when you're doing it on your own it is it can be more collaborative within like the group right like that's one of the things i love most about making comics in general is being able to work with artists and colorists and letterers and all kinds of different people to put stuff together cuz there's so many talented people you know working in comics and it's a pleasure to not just like create with them but also you know it, it feels like it makes me better every time that i get to have those moments where Somebody sends me a page, and I'm just like, "Wow, this is like, you know, it's not even like this is not what I wrote, but like you took what I wrote and made it better, right? Like we're we're playing off of each other, and we're able to kind of like make the story better just by bouncing ideas back and forth. So, you know, whenever I'm doing things on my own, I think there's a it's it's more freewheeling, like we're kind of like flying by the seat of our pants a little bit more, just because I, I feel like I want to really open the collaboration up, and we kind of have the time to do so. So, you know, I, I don't necessarily go into things trying to rush stuff. But, um, you know, I've enjoyed both, you know, like, doing stuff for DC has been great doing stuff, you know, with Star Wars has been great. Doing stuff on my own has been great. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully getting to continue that and, and work in both worlds.
0: And I imagine it helps too when you're working with IP that, you get to work with characters you do enjoy. Like, you probably wouldn't agree to a project if you did not care for the characters quite as much. And, you know, I, I will backtrack a little. I, I told a little bit of a lie. I've written one page of a comic, and it was meant to just be a one-page thing. And, you know, I think I sent it to one of my artist friends, but she unfortunately didn't have time to draw it. So now it's like I have ideas bouncing around in my head on how to make it longer, <laughs> like make it an actual sure. thing. So, you know, little lie there from me earlier. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's okay. Like, one page is great. Like, I I would highly advise people trying to get into comics and work it out. Like, just do one and see what that looks like. And then, you know, kind of build off of that. Because my first comic was maybe five pages for the anthology that I submitted to. And it was a really good experience, because I feel like if I had to do 20 pages back then, like, I I don't know what I would have done. But like, when you can shrink it down to that level and just say, Oh, only five. Okay, you know, like, it feels like not a lot. But you can really get a lot done, you know, even in a short amount of space. So, you know, one page is is an accomplishment. (laughs) So I would I would say, yeah.
0: But for you, what draws you to specific characters? Because, you know, you mentioned Jackson earlier, and that was sort of taking place within this bigger Aquaman story. And then with DC's Crimes of Passion, you told a Batwoman story. So what is it that draws you to certain characters, whether it's the DC characters or just characters you've created and you're like, okay, I really like this character. Let's keep it going.
1: For me, I think one of the things or a few of the things that I look for. Like, I really like characters who are kind of in a, in an underdog position. Like I like a good underdog, a good kind of misfit and outcast. And so looking at Jackson, like Jackson is from, he's from Zebel, but he can't go back, you know, like that's, that's part of his, his deal. Cause his mom, had a bad deal with Black Manta and, you know, like it, things went south and now he's kind of ostracized from there. But he's he's not Atlantean. He doesn't fit in in Atlantis. He's not from the surface. He's kind of trying to figure out his way to see how that works, you know, but he's... A character that I think has so much potential and like the the Brandon Thomas miniseries that's coming out Aquaman you know the becoming is going to be great I'm really looking forward to that because Jackson is somebody who you want to root for right just from a, like naturally like you see him and you kind of feel his energy and his spirit and you're like man like this is somebody who you want to read more of, but you you also want to see good things happen to. and then you know when bad things happen to him it's also like oh no like you know Jackson please so I enjoy that, you know, Batwoman is a little bit outside of like myself, right? And I think that's another thing I like is as a character who's not at all like me. Like I'm very much an introvert and very much somebody who is fine just at home with my cat and, you know, some YouTube and, you know, not really getting up to much, but Kate is as a as a socialite, you know, she's very much so an outgoing, extroverted person, but also like wears her emotions on her sleeve, which sometimes gets her into trouble and sometimes is the right call. And, you know, I think specifically for that story, like reuniting her with Maggie, who was like, I love Maggie Sawyer. And so it was it was great to kind of, you know, play them off of each other. But then also, you know, I love telling stories about people who so often are kind of just unseen, right? Or people who, People are quick to to judge, right? Like I think we all kind of have those biases where, just out of pure like human evolution, right? Like we we evolved to like see things and immediately put them into a category and say, oh, that's dangerous, or like that's that's good, or that's bad. Um, but you know when you do that from a larger societal perspective, right? Like, that's bad, right? So, you know, just looking at people and making group-based, you know, judgments on them, obviously don't want to do that. But there's so many people who I think we would look at and just kind of say, "Mm, you know, nothing interesting about them, or there's not a story there. Whereas, you know, I I like to look at people and say, not that everybody has a story, right? Like, everybody does. But the people who you would kind of look at, I mean, obviously, recently, we can think about, you know, obviously, rest in peace, Michael K. Williams, but like what he did with Omar on the wire, like Omar, visually, you look at Omar, and you would just write Omar off immediately, right? But like, the character that he portrayed and all the depth and the nuance that he had, like, I love doing that with characters that people wouldn't expect to see that level of depth and nuance from them. And, you know, getting to work on projects on my own, or, you know, with larger companies where I can kind of take those characters and do that. Is is something that I'm definitely looking forward to. Like if 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 you know me, you know I love Booster Gold and I love Blue Beetle, and they're like my two, like my one and two. Um, and I think Booster Gold is somebody who kind of fits a number of those categories because he's nothing like me at all. <laughs> um, and he's and he's an underdog in a lot of ways because you know the rest of the Justice League kind of writes him off. But he is also somebody who I think there's a lot more depth and nuance to as a character where you know through different stories like he's kind of been categorized as the the greatest hero that nobody's ever heard of because he's doing all this stuff kind of under the cover of time travel shenanigans but like you know he's he's a good dude like he's a selfish dude and he's got an arrogant dude and he's got all this stuff going on with him but at the end of the day i think he's also somebody who like wants to do good and like will go out of his way to do good and help people even though, you know, it will bite him in the ass in the end. Like he's, he's willing to do it. And I think there's, there's characters like that that I love that are kind of oddball characters, but are also, there's a lot to kind of mine in their, in their character and kind of their personalities. And so that's again, something I'd love to do, whether it's for, you know, a bigger company or just on my own.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I also want to bring up your podcast, because, you know, who would I be without bringing (laughs) up podcasts on a podcast? But the name of your podcast is White People Won't Save You. And I first saw this, I think maybe Vita had retweeted it or something. And I saw it and I just started laughing, because it is such an amazing podcast name. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about the premise of that and how that came about?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, the basic genesis of it is, one, you know, I I had gotten on and off into podcasts over the last couple of years, like a lot of start and stop. I'm sure you kind of know how that goes, where you're like, Oh, like, this is a grind, and you got (laughs) to do it, you know, semi regularly. And I mean, that's specifically when you're starting out, like, that's the hardest part is getting past, say, like, you know, 10 episodes, right? Like, just the consistency with it. So, you know, with the other things that I was doing, they were mostly comics related. And I think that's a hard space where there's so much comics, podcast content, like, how do you stick out? And how do you kind of, you know, make a space? So over the the pandemic, I was like, man, you know, I really want to get back into this, but I don't really know the right route to take. And so, you know, I listened to a pretty wide range of podcasts but i i do enjoy a movie podcast and i do enjoy a bad movie podcast like i love the flop house i love how did this get made and stuff like that and so i was like well is there another way to get into that because you know they seem to kind of have that angle covered and i was thinking of uh terrence nance who People might know him as the, the original director of Space Jam uh, before he uh, left for, you know, creative differences. But he also had an HBO show called Random Acts of Flyness, which hopefully season two is coming soon. But the premise of the show, it's like a, it's almost, I call it a variety show because he's doing a lot of different things. Like there's some documentary type stuff in there. There's some, you know, just like straight up comedy skits. There's like some musical as in, like musical performances, but then musical, like almost musical theater type stuff going on. Like, there's a lot going on. But he had a short piece that was basically about white savior films. And then he spun that out into a website, which is called whitepeoplewon'tsaveyou.org, which, from what he said, is an infinite loop of white savior films. And if you go to it, like, I've watched it for about 40 minutes straight. And you never see the same scene twice. And it's like pulling in different movies. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. So I was like, well, maybe there's something there, but somebody's probably already doing this. And to my surprise, nobody was doing it. So I was like, whoa, like, all right, like let's see what we can do with this. And so me and my friend Cameron Mason have been doing uh, our podcast where we look at white savior films and then we reimagine them as, you know, films that are either led by black people or POC, um, either, you know, characters that are already in the movie or reframing it, like recasting it so that it's it's from a different lens. And it's been pretty great so far. Like I have not seen a lot of these movies. So it's been, it's been a ride. Like I was, I had to watch Green Book and uh, I watched, I don't know if people know about this movie called White Man's Burden, which was what, the movie John Travolta chose to make right after Pulp Fiction, where he plays uh, what is... I mean, it's its very confusing, but he is supposed to be... It's a world where the, the social roles and the race roles have been reversed. So I guess he's black and Harry Belafonte is white. its It doesn't make sense. It's not a good movie. But, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff like that. But then also, you know, recently we watched The Matrix Trilogy, which is like a very interesting one because you've got Keanu Reeves who himself self-identifies as an Asian American actor and, you know, has Asian ancestry. But if you watch The Matrix, like, it's pretty clear he's supposed to be a white guy. And so it's like, well, how does that work? Because, you know, like, yes, Keanu Reeves is not white, but if the movie is making him appear to be white or like played as white, then like, how does the white savior trope, kind of fall into that. So there's been a lot of great discussions, and I'm, I'm I'm having a lot of fun doing it.
0: Yeah, that's an amazing premise. And I totally get what you mean by trying to figure out a way to stand out. Because at the time of us recording this, you know, the podcast is actually on a little bit of a break right now, because I hit 250 episodes. And I was like, all right, I feel like I've kind of hit a plateau, hit a wall with the downloads and, you know, how many people I was getting interested in the podcast. So I was like, all right, let me take a different approach. Because for the majority of the first 250 episodes of this podcast, I was just talking to friends about things we liked, sometimes things we didn't like. I have covered some movies that have not been amazing, but it was still, you know, an enjoyable experience. And so now I'm like, okay, I've enjoyed these Comic book conversations I've had in the past with creators. So let me see if I can do that more. I'm like working on different episode formats. So, like, I'm going to, for instance, tackle specific comic book characters and, you know, talk about key issues and things like that. So, I totally feel you on that whole wanting to stand out thing because there are so many podcasts out there, not just in comics, but even, you know, stuff covering the Marvel movies. Like, I. Am not trying to compete with The Ringer <laughs> because they are many. I am one. You know that would kind of be silly to just be like, okay, I'm going to try to do what The Ringer does. And even though I love a lot of those shows, you know, I've listened to binge mode. I listened to Ringerverse, and I really love what they do there. But for me, I'm like, okay, I have to approach this from my perspective as a solo creator booking guests every single week and you know just try to take a different approach so I definitely feel that but Jordan I do like to throw in some recommendations here at the end now but before we do that is there anything you have coming up that you can talk about right now
1: Oh boy I can't really talk about anything <laughs> right now but I do if you can't, that's fine. I do have stuff that is in the works and so you know we're we're at different stages of projects uh, I'm hopeful that, you know, a lot of stuff will be in the in the air, you know, kind of beginning of next year at some point. So, um, you know, be on the lookout, you know, like, I, I definitely am working, but it is kind of like in those intermediate stages of, of getting things set up.
0: Yeah. And obviously, aside from checking out your work and your podcast, since we talked about Kelly Sue so much, I want to recommend her four issue Captain Marvel and the Carol Corps limited series, if you will. And that was with Kelly Thompson. It's quick, easy read. You're in and out. And it's a fun time. You know, I really, really enjoyed a lot of her work on Captain Marvel. Admittedly, because of my Stephen King podcast that I've been doing for the last three years, I'm behind on literally everything else I've wanted to read. So I have like Bitch Planet and Pretty Deadly sitting on my shelf waiting for me to read them. So, you know, lots of Kelly Sue in my future, apparently.
1: Yeah. I guess if I had to recommend anything, you know, specifically coming off of Aquaman, there are there are two series that are either coming out very soon or are already out. So uh, there is the Black Manta miniseries by Chuck Brown, which I think as of this recording just came out uh, on Wednesday. So that's something that I'm, I'm really looking forward to picking up. And then Aquaman The Becoming by Brandon Thomas is coming out soon. If you read the Future State stuff with Jackson in it it's the same writer from that. Uh, They're going to be taking over, you know, just another six-issue miniseries. But it's it's very exciting to see Jackson continue on. And it's very exciting because one of the characters I created in my two issues is getting a new lease on life in this miniseries. So it's very cool to see, you know, something that you created kind of take hold and, and continue on. So those are the two things that I would recommend for people.
0: Wonderful. And Jordan, thank you so, so much for taking time out of your day to chat with me today. It has been an absolute pleasure. And I wish you the best of luck on all of those upcoming projects.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.
0: All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of Welcome to Geekdom. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through our Patreon. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at Pod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.